San Jose passes a first of its kind gun ownership tax, and an interview with ghost gun pioneer Cody Wilson. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I made the devil run. I gave him poison just for fun. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski, also the founder of TheReload.com, where you can head over and buy a membership today if you want to support what we're doing, support our serious, sober approach to firearms reporting and analysis. So we are 100% reader funded, and we rely on your memberships to run this operation. Plus, you'll also get exclusive access to dozens of analysis pieces and original stories that you won't be able to get anywhere else. Uh, If you're not ready to buy immediately, you can also just sign up for the free newsletter that goes out every Friday. Gives you an update on all the latest breaking gun news stories throughout the country. And uh, I think that you'll find it's very valuable. But today we have Cody Wilson from Defense Distributed on to talk about updates to the Ghost Gunner Project, uh, some of the legal cases that they're involved with, and uh, specifically their 0% uh, initiative, I guess you would call it. But Cody, can you just give the re- the listeners who might not have heard of you before a little bit more background on yourself? Yeah, hey, Stephen, thanks. Um, I'm Cody Wilson. We've developed um, Defense Distributed, the company Defense Distributed. We, I guess you could say we're behind the first generation of 3D printed guns. Um, the website DevCAD, and then our hardware project for 80% and more called Ghost Gunner, which is kind of well known as, as like the, the high end of the 80% space if you want to finish your 80% with machine tools. Uh, we've run Ghost Gunner for six or seven years at this point. It's in its third generation, Ghost Gunner 3, and for SHOT Show this year, uh, we demoed what we call 0% receivers uh, because we anticipated that the ATF would maybe tried to publish a rule banning 80% receivers this year. And we just wanted to show how ineffective that was before it was able to happen. Yeah, and no, we should start there. Also, it sounds like you're a little sick. You're recovering, I believe, though, right? <laughs> you can you can really hear it, can't you? Yeah, a little bit. Well, uh, but, but, so, yeah, I got COVID right after SHOT Show. I suppose lots of people did. It's probably but, um, uh, SHOT Show crud this year was probably COVID. Just <clears throat> trying to live. You know, dude, I was really worried a couple nights ago because I've had fever like three, four nights in a row. And everybody I know who gets COVID is like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. Just a sniffle. And of course it just walloped me. Man. Yeah. A hard time. It seems random as to who's, who gets it really. I mean, obviously if you're older, usually people get it worse, but other than ah. that, it seems kind of random how hard it hits somebody. Yeah, I'm uh, so. you, man. I, I, I must be spiritually old, right? I spent so, <laughs> much, so many years fighting Democrats that now I'm, you know, 70 years old in my, in my spirit or something. Well, well, we're glad that you're feeling better, at least, uh, at least while I have to come on the show, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, remotely. <laughs> yeah, very, very remotely. We're quite distant. <laughs> yeah, so we have, definitely have uh, the, the required social distance between us. You're down in, hmm. uh, in Austin, right, in Texas, mm-hmm. and I'm, right, I'm yeah. up in Virginia, so uh, no risk of transmission, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> that um, we know of. Yes, not that we're aware of yet, but uh, and I don't think there's a new variant that travels over the internet yet. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> but yeah, no, why don't we talk a little bit about that 0% project? Because I think that's been getting some headlines recently, right? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. as, as you're wont to do, you get a lot of headlines in the work that you do. And uh, this new project is pretty fascinating to me. I was I stopped by your booth at SHOT Show to see it mm-hmm. in action and see you know the different components together. And it, it's really quite a fascinating response, I think to uh, what the ATF has proposed 
uh, as a solution to the issue of uh, 80% lowers or unfinished firearms receivers. Uh, the ATF, obviously, and the Biden administration specifically wants to expand the government's regulatory power in order to try and uh, get at unfinished receivers. Uh, you know, they call obviously the colloquial term is ghost gun because uh, mm -hmm. these tend to be once finished, they don't require a serial number. And that's, I mean, that's been the case in the entire history of the country. But this is an mm -hmm. issue uh, in recent years that a lot of Democrats and gun control advocates are concerned about. They don't want anyone to own a gun that doesn't have a serial number on it so that the ATF can trace it if it shows up in a crime. This is the basic debate going on. And, but they put out a, a, a rulemaking document that, mm -hmm. if taken to its limits, could certainly have. Uh, basically, they they want to say that anything that has you know a certain number of components in it, uh, you know the the fire control group area, the uh, magazine, um, uh, you know well, and you know a number of other things could be considered a firearm receiver, which would then have to be regulated by uh, you know, the licensing process under the Gun Control Act, which entails you know, putting a serial number on it, getting a license to sell, uh, to manufacture and sell it to the public. And they also want to extend this power to anything that could be, quote, readily converted to uh, a mm -hmm. finished receiver, and so they don't they don't give many hard guidelines as to what readily converted to means in their definition. But one of the cases that they had pointed to involved eight hours in a fully stocked machine shop, which mm -hmm. uh, you know when you're talking about, especially an AR-15 lower. I have a, an AR-15 lower here for those on YouTube. Let's see what one looks like. This is the regulated part. It's uh, they called a strip lower in, in the community. And um, you could go from a block of metal to one of these in probably in eight hours if you know what you're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And so <laughs> this is one of the problems with the proposed rule is that it gives an extremely expansive uh, view of the law, to, uh, which allows the ATF to have quite a lot of power in determining what they want to regulate. Uh, but in that regulation, as you pointed out to me at, at SHOT Show, they do have uh, you know, a paragraph where they describe how they would not try to regulate just bar stock of metal. And I guess that's where the idea that you guys came up with uh, sprout, you know, sprung from, right? Is that a good summation of how this happened? I think so. If you don't mind me venturing my own restatement because this is such a it's so tedious and there's so many pages and there's so many ways they approach it that it is kind of it overwhelms you mm -hmm. they, they baffle you with bullshit you know it just it's all it's it's meant to put you to sleep and then just intimidate you into thinking well the atf can do whatever they want which is exactly what they want but in all this in all this new hundred pages of stuff they throw at you to, to expand the definition of a firearm we we know because they say that they don't intend to regulate molds and raw pieces of material, right. unformed stock, raw pieces of material. And like I told you at SHOT Show, you know, well then, they screwed up because we'll just go from a raw piece of material and we'll go right back into 100% uh, on our piece of equipment. And we don't have to worry about the, all these other tests for readily convertible or, you know, readily identifiable. Like they, they define all these other tests. There's this eight part 
scenario they create. And it's like we can forget about all of it because at least in the last draft of the rule that I saw, which will probably be changed now that we've you know demoed zero percent this way. Yeah, could be. Uh, they go out of their way to say, well, of course we wouldn't regulate raw blocks of metal. So now zero percent, I think, should be as a commercial concept should be considered by us and, and others as um, any concept that wants to go from a raw piece of metal that's not uh, formed in any way to become a receiver into a receiver. And that's the type of software that we'll begin shipping on and supporting on the, on the ghost gunner. Yeah. And that that's interesting to me, right? Because one, I, you know, one thing I pointed out to you and I'm interested on in your thoughts a little more on this, that section in the proposed rule, it's kind of an aside. It's like a promise. They're, you know, they want all this regulatory authority, and then they promise we don't want to go after raw materials. Right. So, you know, it seems to me obviously that's something that could just be removed at any point. But even you know, but practically speaking, it's mm -hmm. probably impossible for them. It's literally impossible for them to try and regulate all aluminum bar stock because you're you're. The key component for this zero percent idea that you guys are, are uh, uh, putting out now, uh, this this code for for your machine. So I should briefly explain what the Ghost Gunner is. It's a it's a CNC machine, right? It's a it's yeah. a mill. It's it's a yeah. compact CNC machine that people can use. You, you could use it for anything you could use the CNC machine for, right? But mm -hmm. obviously, you guys make software that uh, helps you know uh, finish firearms parts in in the cnc mm -hmm. machine but mm -hmm. uh but yeah so you can take what is effectively a stock piece of aluminum that you could buy at any store that sells you know aluminum um to a person and then you can take that and make the necessary cuts in it to create uh the key component of a low receiver i mean i guess the, this is something that people might not understand if they haven't seen it um yeah, I can take a stab at it if you want. Yeah, because it's so not like, like the one I just showed is a full, yeah. full finished strip lower all in one piece. Mm -hmm. Your design is a, is a little bit different than that, right? Yeah, we made so in our, in our first commercial zero percent package, we we took an AR low receiver and split it. You could say into three parts, um, and this is just to save material and to help you make it from small stock sizes where you're not wasting a lot of time and material yourself right and that keeps the concept commercial but the idea is once you make the components or buy some of the others you you bolt it back together uh kind of like the franken lower in the early like the franken stoner i think it was called in the, in the early 80 percent days there's been ideas like this before um but we were basically trying to demo at shot show the tightest most commercial package uh, that we had where you only let's say have to put about eight hours of time into the machine and then everything else it doesn't matter because atf doesn't regulate it you can just add on those parts buy them and you can make them and you can even 3d right. print one of them and we're just trying to show this combination of technologies techniques that, that gets around the rule mm -hmm. but i can also point out that we, we had some fixtures at our booth uh, from one of our developers who who truly is supporting just a giant block of metal in uh, multiple degrees of freedom where you can cut on that thing for 16 hours and you'll and you'll get the entire lower receiver just like the one that you showed so there's, there's lots of ways to get there the concept we're trying to show is no matter what you can start with a raw piece of material but we think our concept is a bit more insidious and difficult to regulate because every component will come from is a stock extrusion size which you know you don't have to get from us you can get from anyone and our gambit is atf will never tell home depot or metals for you or whoever it is you know to regulate these these bar stock components yeah i mean it's 
just thinking through it, it's essentially impossible. I mean, the one thing I thought is like, okay, well, they, what they could do is just remove that language and then say, all right, we will regulate raw stock material if it's being sold alongside a kit of some sort. That's kind of what they're doing. That's what their proposal is for like Polymer mm -hmm. 80. That's what, mm -hmm. that's why they rated Polymer 80 uh, a while back is because they, they didn't, they believe that this concept of selling the 80% the unfinished lower alongside a kit to finish the lower uh, violates, you know, their interpretation of, of the law. And so that's one of the things they're, they're going to go. So they could just remove that language and say, well, if you're selling this alongside of a ghost gunner with the code necessary to finish, you know, receiver yeah. and the, the other two parts that you need uh, to finish the frame, well, uh, you know, all right, then that needs to be serialized and you need a manufacturer's license and you need a FFL to, you need everybody to go through background checks about this. Okay. Uh, but then your solution seems fairly simple too, which is on your guys' end, it's just to stop selling the bar stock and then tell people they can go buy it themselves at any store that sells it. Because yeah, like how could they? There's multiple, <coughs> there's multiple potential solutions in our package, which I think have yet to be kind of demonstrated yet because mm -hmm. we don't know what path ATF ultimately will take. But let's say ATF says, well, receiver kits themselves, no matter what the combination, if it's a raw piece of material, but you, you sell that, that piece of material with a piece of software or whatever. Okay, we consider that regulated. Fine, we won't sell the raw piece of material. Right. But if I sell you two other components that can be bolted onto that finished piece of material, those two components by themselves, by the ATF's definition, can be considered cannot be considered readily convertible. Those two, like the buffer tower component and the little skirt that I showed you, those two put together will never be considered, you know, readily convertible, nearly identifiable, any of the definitions they created. So we're showing how you can kind of remix even with the new situation uh, to where there's still a commercial side where you can sell parts of it, even if you can't sell a, a bi-build shoot kit like Palmer 80 has. I, I still think there's lots of ways to route around this. Yeah. Uh, and so also we've given ourselves room because ATF, if they haven't finished the rule yet, right, and they do want to change it based on what we've done, we've still withheld uh, a final configuration. So if they change the rule and say, like, well, actually, you can't do this, you can do that, we still have a couple tricks up our sleeve because I can... I can help you make every single part of that lower. I don't have to sell you any of the raw material and all of it can be from raw material. I know I'm, I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself, but what I'm saying is um, they, they've also written themselves into a corner. Yes, they've said in their rule, like, well, you know, obviously with raw material without more, we don't regulate it. Okay, they could change that, but they've still, with all the tests they've created, they've still made it almost impossible um, by focusing on kit guns and, and readily convertible uh, components. Everything that we're gonna sell you can't be by itself considered readily convertible, at least off the bat. And in combination, we won't allow the ATF to consider it a receiver kit. We'll sell it in some combination that doesn't get you there. And, you know, like it's, I just, I think we'll set the standard. I mean, in, a, in yeah. an hour, I'm talking to another 80% uh, company who wants to follow on our concept and develop 0% concepts for the machine. Everybody, everybody gets it now. Like they're going to at least make a play here because if anything else, it dissuades ATF uh, from going in this new direction and and at least we can allow them to pretend that they fixed one problem while it opens up a lane in, in a totally different avenue yeah i mean you know from my point of view it's hard to see how they could possibly regulate this especially under the proposed uh, rule that they've got because the way it works is essentially uh you know if, if you're selling something that's intended to become a firearm then you have to serialize it and you have to get the required licensing to sell you know to make and sell it but uh i mean 
I don't know how you get around, like, uh, sure, you go after the kits, right? Oh, okay, well, if you're selling it in a kit, then clearly even this bar stock is intended to be become a receiver. But then, all right, well, just don't sell the bar stock metal. And um, that yep. gets around it. So, uh, you know, they're not going to go into every Home Depot or whoever, you know, wherever else you can buy raw metal and try to tell them to serialize every bar stock and keep the kinds of records that you need and get the white federal licensings that you need to sell firearms like that's obviously not realistic you know we we could say that we know that they want to do that in some hypothetical sense like surely atf would like to regulate everything but but actually what's happening is okay like we know mom's demand and everyone you know doesn't want you to be able to make a firearm mm -hmm. but atf doesn't actually have the power to affect that so the most they could accomplish with this rule is expanding the definition of a firearm to as many things as possible and right. so if we think about it in that way atf knows that it can never consider a, a raw block of metal a firearm and it knows that it's going to get challenged especially in favorable federal jurisdictions if it if it starts to tell me or people close to me that the raw pieces of material we're selling are actually firearms it's going to get laughed at and thrown out in court they kind of know they can't even go near it and so they have to write things in the rule just to show like well look we're being reasonable of course so that they can be unreasonable kind of further down the chain uh, about other components of a more finished variety. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I read through that proposal, what I see from the ATF is a desire to continue to do the things that they are already doing, but mm -hmm. without facing uh, too much scrutiny in court. So what this means in practice is like they want to go after kits. Um, so they're trying to expand the definition to like make it easier for them to go after yep. kits. And they want right. to, they want to go after felons in possession of AR-15 yep. stripped lowers because they had a problem with this in, in court in recent years uh, mm -hmm. because their definition of a receiver doesn't match what the AR-15 AR lower is um, because it doesn't have all the components necessary. It doesn't have the breach. Uh, it doesn't, you know, there's a number of things that in the federal registry for what defines a receiver uh, or a frame that isn't included in that part. But for 60 years, they've just defaulted to, mm -hmm. well, it's okay. We're just going to regulate this one piece because we got to pick a piece. And so now they want to expand the definition to theoretically let them pick. I mean, theoretically, under the new definition, they could pick multiple pieces from an AR or a lot of different yeah. kinds of guns and declare them receivers. But they say, they basically, you read through it and it's clear that they just don't like what these judges have been doing. And That's they're right. like, fine, we're just going to expand the definition to be so we can make it whatever we want. And then we're just going to use it the same way we've been using. That's that's when I read through it. That's how I read it. But but it's interesting. I agree 100 percent. Yeah. And it's, it's just interesting to see the ways that you've gotten into territory now that I think, you know, and obviously I, I imagine this was really your stated goal all along to where there's no real regulatory solution to what you're doing to try and ban what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. Like what, what is the solution here? You ban CNC machines uh, or you ban yeah. metal stock, you ban sharing. I mean, that, that's kind of where you have to get into these. Like, it's not real. Even if you try to ban these things, it well, wouldn't we, stop. We know what they want. You know, we, they want an act of Congress that says no one can build a gun. I mean, that's what they want. Um, now, will they get it? Maybe by defining everything as ghost guns and stuff. And, and we've seen, perhaps you, you intend to get into this, like Maryland's yes. latest bill. And, you know, there's these state and municipal ordinances I'm seeing that say, well, we ban ghost guns. But what this actually means is we ban your ability to either buy components to make a firearm or we ban online sellers' ability to sell you components to make a firearm. 
And that's, you know, that's troubling. And I think it relies on a cynicism, which is true that the Supreme Court won't intervene. Um, so, you know, th this country is still splitting along these lines where some people are going to easily be able to make guns, have guns, and some people won't. I just think, uh, you know, I do want to get into that. I think that's a good transition into some of these state laws mm -hmm. and some of these legal fights that you're going through over this exact issue. But, uh, you know, it's, at first, I just think that the philosophical point, which is something you've been heavily leaning on your entire career, mm -hmm. right, since you first uh, designed uh, the Liberator, which was the, the 3D printed uh, firearm, you know, years ago and, and got a lot of attention over that. There's kind of this philosophical approach to the whole operation of, Look, you can make all the laws you want, but with technology where it's at now and the ease of sharing this, these, uh, this okay. information, you know, you can't, it's really impossible to stop the signals. This is sort of the, the FPC, uh, uh meme, which comes from, uh, you know, obviously, uh, uh, Firefly, but, uh, but yeah, it, once the information is out there, once the knowledge is out there, it's not really possible to stop this. And now the entry to, yeah. The barrier to entry for making your own firearm is has become with these latest developments so low that uh, you know there you're you're really asking this philosophical question about how could you ever try and re regulate these things fully ever again. You know, this is a fair point. So I'd like to to follow on. I mean, our technology, or let's say our company, comes around the same time that WikiLeaks came of age, and really Bitcoin came to public consciousness. So like three mm -hmm. D guns, Bitcoin. WikiLeaks, these all come, they, they arrive at the same moment, even that moment of like Edward Snowden, where, uh-oh, we realize the internet doesn't actually allow uh, perfect 20th century regulation of the things we care about anymore. <laughs> and and it's not like people couldn't make guns before. I see this all the time, you know, for sure. many years. People are like, well, so what? I can always make a gun. Yes, that's always been true. But this, you know, the, the scariest part of 3D guns, I think, and then maybe some of the rest of the philosophy of our of our projects is, is that there's this downloadable, uh, sorry, a downloadable component to what we're talking about. So like there are files for a gun that you can download and you realize to some degree you can basically go into programmable machine tools. You got them directly from the internet. You know, there's no place to insert a regulatory authority. And so it becomes kind of laughable uh, to consider a police of this process. And, and that's what WikiLeaks and Bitcoin are about. Like they're, they're perfect because there's nobody in between and the, the information is liquid, instantaneous. Um, and then the more you try to push it around and regulate it, suppress it, the more it spreads itself all over the internet. So mm. these things are related in this way. And, and that's right. That's our philosophy. And that's where our company came from, this kind of digital libertarian place. And we take platform technologies and attempt to demonstrate basically over and over again that the internet allows, you know, for our vision of the future far more than any alternative. And we'll get into some of the, the drawbacks or critiques of this in a little bit. But first, I want to start with uh, what you were alluding to earlier here, which is some people do still try to regulate these things. It's, it's, you know, yeah. it hasn't stopped people from tra even though even even while you can make this philosophical argument that it's mm -hmm. kind of uh, pointless or at least uh, <clears throat> futile, perhaps in the end, there are attempts right now uh, yeah. across the country to try and restrict exactly these technologies, and they go about it in a number of different ways. Um, and so I was hoping, you know, you could give a little update on on the latest in some of the federal lawsuits and then some of the yeah. state laws, like perhaps we could start with New Jersey. What they've tried to do seems to be one of the most extreme examples yeah. that involves really kind of trying to shut down the information sharing side of this. 
uh, process. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and where the legal case is with yeah. New Jersey? I'll say that the origins of a, of a state law attempts to police the information comes from the failure of the federal attempts to police. So for the first five years of 3D guns, uh, we were being attacked by the U.S. State Department, and to some degree, the Commerce Department, but um, that that police action failed and, and ultimately was settled in court. And I think this somehow, you know, this happened during the Trump administration and it just shocked the conscience of the progressive, you know, attorneys general across the country and all the liberals. And so they demanded that their state <laughs> attorneys do something. And so New Jersey, Phil Murphy, they passed the kind of the first of its kind state law where they're like, well, fine, if anyone in our state can access such a website or download such a file, it's a felon for the provider of the file. You see, so if like if anybody on a cell phone in New York, but is a you know a resident of New Jersey accesses you know devcad.com and downloads a file for a 3D gun or a magazine, it's actually a felony for Cody Wilson to have provided that and not screened that out. And you know this I think is the one of the one of the first of these kind of fragmentary laws that we're beginning to see um, these states participate in for tit for tat. Like now we've seen Texas' weird abortion law, for example, mm-hmm. which allows people to sue providers and. And then same thing in California, Gavin Newsom promises, look, you know, in my session this year, I'm going to allow private residents in California to sue any ghost gun company in the country. Like, so we're, we're splitting up into this fractal territory where states are just going to do basically create whatever kind of federal police power they want, but they'll have a sophisticated way of avoiding, let's say, judicial scrutiny of it, and then just allow people to tear themselves up right. in private lawsuits over it. So New Jersey's is kind of the first of that kind where they say, well, any, anything, if you allow me to download it, if you allow me to see it, if you email me about it, whatever, that's a felony. And that's so intense and extreme. But their cynicism is, well, you know, it's going to take you about five or six years to probably sort that out in our courts. So it's worth it. And tr- true enough, right? I've been suing on that law since 2018. Uh, I finally got jurisdiction over the Attorney General of New Jersey in, uh, in Texas. I had, I had to go to the Fifth Circuit to get it. And uh, I'm still, I, I've been waiting at the Fifth Circuit again for another six months on whether or not it's illegal. Finally, at last, you know, and uh, shit, I'm going to die of COVID before I find out. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, it's just things like this all the time. And, you know, I'm, yeah. we're always looking at California, trying to innovate, you know, or create some version of it. But Washington State has a very similar uh, law to New Jersey's, although it's more ambiguous. It's kind of more um, modest. It's a little more afraid of itself. I've seen similar laws in, in New Mexico. And now individual cities like, um, you know, San Jose's in the news now for their for their tax thing, um, their liability thing. But San Diego is, has made it illegal for you to basically have files or kits. Same thing with San Francisco, no kits. You know, so each each little municipality starts ticking things off or joining in lawsuits against Palmer 80, things like this. So it's, it's broken down at this micro level where there's just a ton of private party lawsuits. And then you're hoping, okay, the Ninth Circuit's not going to help me out, but maybe the Fifth Circuit will, maybe the Third Circuit will. If, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because it, it implicates obviously much more than just second amendment rights. Uh, there's also first amendment rights are very much mm-hmm. implicated in, in these attempts to block the sharing of files. I mean, look, I've got, uh, this is the patent drawing for the 1911. This is a hundred year old gun is very popular. Yeah. Famous. There's also one right here in, in the physical real world, but this is essentially the same thing as a CAD file. It gives you all the specifications for what what uh you know the measurements are for the gun and how to build one and um in sharing this uh even here on this platform on youtube potentially maybe a violation of that new jersey law <laughs> um uh, you know mm-hmm. and, and publishing these 
for public consumption in New Jersey, uh, even though they're focused on the CAD file, there's really no no practical difference. Um, uh, and so the, the CAD file is just a digital representation of the information that's in this. Uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, there's there's at least an awareness on the lawmakers part that like, well, there's something about a digital model itself in three dimensions, which is somehow uh, more terrifying than the 2D model. But they don't write the laws that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So they just like the ATF rule, they want to give themselves actually a maximum of police power and see if people like me and SAF and FPC can kind of whittle it down uh, to the core of, you know, 3D CAD or 3D CAM, however they how, however they want to define these things. And this is actually the heart of the, the latest federal problem that we have, too, where, okay, after we beat the State Department, and maybe this doesn't matter so much, but there's now this, this dispute about, like, well, what is a CAD file versus what is a CAM file, and what is regulated, and does that matter? I haven't seen quite as much uproar about this uh, through the media. I think maybe people don't really even understand how broad these laws yeah. actually are, and how much is implicated beyond just gun rights, which, you know, obviously many media outlets are not favorable towards gun rights and might be more willing to uh, accept restrictions that they wouldn't be ex willing to accept on, on First Amendment rights. I mean, for instance, the, you know, we had a, we had a magazine that published the, <laughs> the designs for mm -hmm. the nuclear bomb, uh, and that was, you know, deemed to be legal by the Supreme Court, but now I can't publish the the hundred year old design of, of the 1911, one of the most prolific firearms in history. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a secondary irony here, which is that most of the blueprints for all the guns we care about are held in the public trust, you know, not just in the patent office, but the army publishing directorate. I mean, these are all public documents, right? The number one offender in this scenario is actually the, still the U S government because these are all public, <laughs> public documents and blueprints, Yeah, it is you know, Springfield and, and everything else. So it's like, okay, well, what do you want from me? It's like, I didn't invent the gun. Didn't the U S government invent the gun? Uh, <laughs> but I'm with you, man. No, it's not meant to make sense, right? It's, it's meant to be to some degree. You can say it's, it's, cynicism it's these ags just knowing they can kind of ghost guns like aren't a real issue and so it's easy to score points on this and kind of dunk on me and internet anarchists and be like oh we're protecting you against the scary ghost gun people uh, but then the other thing is this actual chinese intent to somehow kind of prevent a future where people can easily have the means of, of making guns for themselves and, and that's a scary that's a scary future to consider yeah i mean uh, yeah that's a fair point i mean obviously i think uh, one of the major pushbacks to this concept of that technology is going to lead to greater human freedom is, you know, is China, right? You can look at how they've been able to um, restrict access to information, even in the digital age. Uh, and you could, in a sort of dystopian future, you could certainly see that applied to exactly what you're trying to do as well. Um, well not, oh. not fully and not completely, but no, it's not going to be actually... as free as perhaps maybe we would... Uh, the idealist might imagine it to be. It, it feels fully and completely to me, in fact. I, I don't think this is a cheap point to make, but we've actually encountered through our moments of victory and moments of defeat, we've encountered the full weight of the U.S. style of suppression of the Internet, which isn't just, you know, police powers of, of the state and little states, but Facebook, mm. Google, you understand, yeah. Instagram, all this stuff. And That's it's not like point. we're the only ones now. All, of, all the people in our space get bullied, pushed around and and kind of quietly taken out of the conversation. And I look at, at my booth in SHOT Show, a guy came by, I won't say his name, and he's like, hey, I was literally the guy at Facebook that black holed your companies when, when news of your, of your victory came out. 
And when he says black hole, he means like there's a, an actual tool at Facebook called black hole. And so like if anyone mentions 3D guns or DEFCAD links or even, you know, defense distributed or something, that doesn't go anywhere. That gets absorbed into this system yeah. and completely suppressed and cannot spread. The, the links are filtered in real time. Yep. This isn't a surprise to people anymore. But remember, it was only 2018 when this stuff just got deployed for the first time. So mm -hmm. we are pretending if we don't think we have a, almost a, a simultaneously evil system like, like China's. We just get the additional propaganda of pretending that we're the free people of the West. You know, uh, I mean, I don't know that I fully uh, would go that far, <laughs> but I will say that there is a legitimate point there in terms of uh, how the Internet operates in America, even in free sure. countries. Uh, it is largely controlled by sort of mega corporations. Amazon hosts most of the websites on the Internet. Yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, Facebook controls huge swaths of uh, digital communication, whether on Facebook or through WhatsApp or what have you, know, there's a number of ways. And so there are mega corporations that do have a lot of pullover who gets to say what it's not, it's not a, to the same degree as in China, but it's certainly something that people should, uh, uh consider and think about because you're right. If you tried to post, they didn't just <laughs> de-platform, uh, you know, entities like it's not just not going to let you have a, a Facebook group. Uh, right. or Facebook page, they will, they can and do in this case, block all mention of, of, you know, what you're doing. You can't even talk about it on Facebook, which is, which is remarkable. Yeah. You know, it's not, uh, yeah. and it's something that I think a lot of people haven't caught up with that that happens. Um, because you like to assume that a lot of these platforms would, you know, maybe they don't want people spread it. You know, there's plenty of controversy about deplatforming and whether it's, necessary in this situation or another or whatever, if it's beneficial or harmful, but, uh, this is further than that. Yeah. Be as fair as possible. COVID I think woke a lot of people up to this, you know, in a, in a way that no one had been awoke, awake to it before. So, okay. People get now that like, you can be completely thrown out of the public conversation, you know, when these COVID doctors come out and they'll say X or Y and suddenly only Joe Rogan will have them on and, you know, um, misinformation is now the word by which the Western system can just um, expel you <laughs> from the commons. So people see that this is happening in a way that maybe they didn't a, a couple of years ago. And I, I don't want to say we're completely blind to it. And to your point, yes, the degree is not like it is in China. But we have a competitive and similar system to China's, mm -hmm. which at least in China's case is pure force. And like, we don't have to like pretend that it's anything other than it is. In the States, we have to kind of Okay, someone's going to get canceled. Someone's going to get me too. You know, there's always some fake reason for why we have to throw someone out of the conversation. So, anyway. Well, you know, and uh, there's a difference between government force and and private actors. Uh, but but I like I said earlier, the I the fact that some of these co companies are extremely large and do control huge portions of the online sure. space is a fair point to make about uh, you know in a discussion over deplatforming and how these companies operate and what ideas they allow to be on, on their platforms and how much of an impact that has on free speech as sure. a whole when, when they're removed, um, whether they're, you know, spewing lies about the vaccines or whatever they're doing, you know, the, the, there is a larger debate here about, uh, how, how to, how to handle that and what's, what's the best, you know, macro, okay. uh, uh, approach to it. But, uh, More than we can handle, I'm sure. Yeah, certainly not. We're going to get to the bottom <laughs> of on this podcast, but um, <clears throat> but I, you know, but like I said, even even as somebody who 
um, is uh, skeptical of a lot of claims of, of censorship and so forth. There, there is something here that I think a lot of people right. don't even realize the scope of it. Um, and it's an important conversation to, to have for sure. Uh, the other, uh, so I, you know, I mentioned earlier, we get back to critiques and, and drawbacks of, uh, of this approach and what you're doing. And, and obviously, um, the main reason that you get a lot of these laws that attempt to restrict, you know, ghost guns, right. Uh, or, or being able to manufacture your own firearms, even though this is something as you alluded to earlier has been perfectly legal to do in the United States since before the United States even existed. Um, but the concern is obviously over the criminal use of firearms, over criminals building their own guns and obviously bringing down the barrier of entry to building a gun. Uh, that doesn't bring it down just for the nice law-abiding people. It brings it down for everyone, and that's the nature of technological advancement. So you see this resistance is in large part justified by the concern over criminals being able to build their own guns that are untraceable and uh, difficult to um, uh, you know, counter for law enforcement, right? This is the argument that you get. Um, and obviously, you know, with your own criminal history, uh, and the, the plea that you, um, agreed to several years ago, um, uh, which is injury of a child, the, the situation with, uh, the sugar daddy website, uh, you know, people know <laughs> this has been well documented, but, but the question is, Given that history, right, and given the the reason that people are skeptical of this technology being, you know, yeah. they probably fear somebody like you getting uh, firearms, even though you're you're not prohibited to make this clear, right? You you are not prohibited from owning firearms. Right. That's probably the first thing I'd I'd say. Right. But, but go ahead. Um, but you but certainly I'm sure you understand the the general nature of the concern that most people have, even a even just a normal person who looks at the situation and says. Oh, I'm worried about criminals using this. And then you having a criminal history being the face of this development, what, you know, what, do, how do you alleviate those concerns for people? Like, how do you respond to that? Well, this isn't going to be like a pro-social answer. I mean, <clears throat> I don't think it's my job to alleviate the concerns. If, if anything, it's always been our approach to um, accelerate the concerns. Um, and I, I know this doesn't sound like, uh-oh, you're not being a friend of the industry, Cody, but... You know, the industry itself wasn't protecting itself until it was completely under attack. So years of me trying to <clears throat> convince Polymer 80 to sue and push back didn't do anything until Polymer 80 got sued. So um, I guess I would say it's, it's not safe to be able to make a gun, you know, and it's, uh, it's not the safe kind of people who develop these technologies. I'm, I'm a radical kind of guy. The living that I've done is somewhat fast, and um, I don't think that... I'm the best guy to take home to meet your mom, but you know, I don't. I don't think American history is full of those people. I mean, I just finished Samuel Colt's biography last year. You know, he was selling hits of nitrous oxide under circus tents and letting people beat the crap out of each other. You know, to fund the development of his revolver. I mean, this is a weird country. It's hard on people. Uh, I'm a weird guy, and um, you know, it's it's these kind of strange people that create technical innovations and. You know, like I don't want to be a completely toxic personality that, that brings down our industry, but mm -hmm. um, it's pretty tough, pretty tough to live in this country in time um, without taking some major flack from these from these school moms and these these lawyers. And dude, I'm trying to you know live as clean and but as fast as I can. Sure, and look, I understand. Obviously, you weren't intending to get yourself into the situation that led to to the to the you know the criminal charges, but 
do you think that, why do you think that you're still the best face for this movement given that history? Well, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm the best face for it. And in fact, I don't think I've ever been the best face for it. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think I found this zone kind of first and earliest. Um, and I'm still probably better spoken than, than most of the other people in our little space, but it's just a measure of, of work and talent to some degree. And again, I'm not trying to praise myself. I'm just saying, I, I don't think I'm the best. I don't think I'm a moral leader. I'm not a moral philosopher. Uh, I'm, I'm out here doing what can be done and trying to beat the ATF and Mom Command and all these other people to the punch because to me, it's a great contest. Like in the way our mm -hmm. founders would say, it's an animating contest of liberty. Uh, I enjoy it. I'm, I'm here for myself. I'm not here to be a representative for other people. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just mean... Um... <clears throat> When you when this first happened, you stepped away from the company and someone else was leading it publicly. What yeah. was it that made you decide to come back and be the driving force behind the company out and in front in public doing interviews like this one? Right. Where, you know, you're going to get questions like this. What? Why did you like, I, you know, people know you. People know that you you are very articulate you, and that you're you have a lot of the ideas that go into what Defense Distribute produces. But what was the thing that made you decide? Well, number one, like I'm, the, the companies are an extension of my of my personal, you know, persona, my beliefs. But number two, I guess I'll say it this way. Um, well, I don't know. There's a, there's a couple of ways to say it. It's dangerous to be the, the head of this company. Okay. I mean, you know, they, our authorities don't mess around anymore. You can do things that are, you know, 10% as dangerous as what I'm doing legally and go away for a long time. Um, and so it's not fair, it's not just to ask someone else to, to run and head my companies, knowing the personal risk all the time. I mean, I'm in California, I'm being personally sued along with Ghost Gunner for half a billion dollars. Anytime we get in trouble with the feds or New Jersey, they want to pierce the corporate fiction, they want to throw me in jail, you know, even before I got in, into my recent round of trouble, you know, just with the dating thing, I was facing contempt of court in Newark, New Jersey. I mean, they constantly want to put me in jail. And I just don't think that's fair to ask anybody else to do if I've got the, the skin in the game. So I guess the answer is like a Talebian, you know, if you want to do it, if you want to talk the talk, you have to put the skin in the game. And, and that's the only way that I would that I would do it. Interesting. And um, so looking forward here for Defense Distributed and for you, what are what's the next step? You've developed this zero percent uh, program now. Uh, where, where do you go from there? Yeah, I think I think we see if zero percent concepts are truly commercial. We're we're kind of in this liminal space where we don't. It's a transition space. We don't know if eighties are going to be canceled or not, you know. So and, and therefore we don't really know if zero percents have their own um, commercial appeal outside of that monopoly condition where you, you can't do eighty percent. So hmm. um, so it's about proving that out. It's about helping people come onto the machine and. and making the most commercial experience possible on the machine. And to some degree, that's always been the program. And then, you know, core defense distributed is developing DefCAD and developing whatever the, the most legal way of downloading the files for 3D guns or CNC guns uh, can be, because there's still lots of ways to do it online. And this is good. And this is proof that we win. Like it almost doesn't matter how many laws there are. We've done all this talk about laws on this podcast, right? But this is almost academic because most of the kids out there and the people who actually encounter this stuff on the internet, they don't even know that it's illegal. Uh, the way that they encounter it. It's just there. And this is proof you could say that like uh, we win anyway. But um, still, I think it's necessary to maintain legal channels uh, which allow you to get the files, allow you to get the stuff. 
um, and that don't encourage police suppression. And that's a full-time job. And mm. that's what I intend to keep doing. Yeah, great. And uh, for people who want to support what you're doing or they want to pick up a ghost gunner, for instance, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, Defense Distributed is a company. Ghost Gunner is the, the product for milling your own 80%, 0%, ghostgunner.net, defcad.com if you want to download files. It's all out there. It's all connected. Um, we just, you know, check us out. Google us. Hey, all right. Well, we appreciate you coming on, answering some of our questions, including some of the harder ones, right? I appreciate you doing that. So uh, Always a good time, man. Yeah, and we'll, we'll have to have you back on again soon in the future, too. All right, my pleasure, brother. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for the news update with contributing writer Jake Fogelman. How you doing, Jake? How's your day going? I'm doing all right, Stephen. Uh, happy to be here. <laughs> good, good. We're happy to have you again. I think you're fully recovered, right? Uh, from uh, your, the You were a little sick for a while, but now you're fully back 100%, right? Yep, all good on my end. Good, good. Uh, and you actually have, well, two stories. We're going to talk about them simultaneously, but you got two stories this week about San Jose, California, right? They did something that was first of its kind, right? Uh, that's correct. So the city council officially uh, voted to approve the, as you said, unprecedented ordinances that will require all gun owners in the city to get mandatory liability insurance um, in addition to paying an annual fee, uh, which they're saying is going to be around $25. Um, but yeah, so they've officially gone ahead and approved this. It's been a long time in the making. I think we reported on this last year sometime around the summertime. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so after a, a lengthy uh, public input period, there was a lot of online comments filed, uh, largely negative. Um, they still went ahead and uh, voted it up. Yeah, they uh, and it was sort of a marathon meeting that they had, but... But because uh, we both stayed up to watch it uh, in the right. East Coast time, and they didn't finish till like one a.m. East Coast time uh, to do the vote. They they did a bunch of stuff. They talked for a long time, and then they ended up splitting the ordinance into two different ordinances. Which I guess uh, there were two council members who voted against the um, the fee, right? But That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it was ten one for the insurance mandate, and eight to three for the. They call it a fee, although I think. Most people would call it a tax because it's just right. they're just charging you for owning a gun. It's it's not a sales tax. It's it's not a, a fee for service. It's just a tax on your property. Uh, and this right. this applies to be clear to anyone who owns a gun at all in San Jose, right? Uh, that's correct. And because we know California has a gun registry, that means they are well aware if you have a gun or not. Um, they they're in. They said they'll be in contact with the uh, California Department of Justice because that's the only agency that keeps track of that registry. But um, they'll be using that database to send notices out to individual households that they have on record that own guns, basically informing them of their obligation now to get insurance and to pay that that annual fee. Yeah. And so what are they proposing to use this fee for? Uh, yeah. So I guess there's a nonprofit organization that's not yet fully formed. It's still in the works. Um, with various public health experts and community leaders, that all and the money is going to go. Real quick, though, that that's kind of this the story of this whole ordinance, right? It's that's not right. Really, none of this is fully formed yet. There's no insurance policy that that meets the requirements, right? Either that's right. We, we, as you said, when we watched the uh, the hearings about this, there's all sorts of questions from various council members uh, that heard different things from different insurance companies that they talked to. 
So it's pretty clear that this isn't fully hashed out yet. I think they have a meeting in February where they're going to hopefully have more details about this. And it um, technically hasn't gone into effect yet either, right? That's correct. Yeah, it's only been approved by the council, but it's not yet law. Um, so after that final meeting in February, there'll be 180 days after that meeting when that law finally goes into effect. So this will be, I think August is when they're shooting for to have this uh, become good yeah. law. Next August, or no, this, this August. Yeah. This, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. But um, yeah. And so they, they want to use the fee to create a nonprofit that's going to, um, I guess, provide training for gun safety and then provide services for people who've been shot, right? Correct. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of uh, like mental health services for people affected by gun violence. Um, mm. As you said, Even gun if safety you training. Been shot, yeah. Correct. Yeah, correct. Um, essentially, that's also not fully worked out. We saw some trepidation from some members, I guess, in the ordinance of provision. It says only these services will only apply to people with guns, uh, which is a little strange that you're getting taxed, but then they're applying the services to you uh, when the entire rationale was that this was going to somehow pay the city back for the costs of gun violence. Right. Um, so it's not yet clear the rationale. Yeah, I mean, well, it's the mayor who's the driving force behind this. His name's Sam Licardo. He's a Democrat. Uh, I think everyone on the council is a, a Democrat too, right? Uh, I, I believe. I'm not sure if they have partisan affiliation on on the actual yeah, council they, members. Yeah, they might not. Right. But the the mayor is certainly a Democrat, and he's been the one pushing this. And his comments kind of make it pretty obvious that this is sort of in, intentionally punitive uh, against gunners. Here's what he here's a quote from him uh, from from your story. While the Second Amendment protects the right to bear arms, it does not require taxpayers to subsidize gun ownership. We won't magically end gun violence, but we will stop paying for it. We can also bear, uh, we can also better care for its victims and reduce gun-related injuries and death through sensible intervention. So, I mean, it, on his explicit justification itself, I mean, it's sort of a punitive thing. They're, they're sure. saying that gun owners, uh, you know, gun ownership is. Uh, drag on society because of gun violence. And so we're going to charge people who own guns, uh, these fees and require them to get insurance in order to, um, you know, make up for the, the, the harm caused, right? That's the basic, uh, logic here. That, yeah, that is the rationale. And I think the mayor would have a point if this was somehow going to be attached to criminal use of firearms. But as was uncovered in the text of the ordinance and as well as the public comment and the deliberations on the council members, that insurance companies will not, in fact, insure criminal behavior. Um, right. It will only apply to accidental use of firearms, so I'm, which makes up, as we know case, statistically, makes up a very small amount of gun harm. Certainly. But, and even in that case, a lot of accidental shootings are the result of negligence on the part of sure. the, the owner of the gun, or at least the person handling the gun. And so... I think it's unclear how willing insurance companies are going to be to insure against somebody who's grossly negligent in handling their firearms to the point where they're accidentally shooting themselves or someone else. That's and right. So, you know, that's why that's likely why you don't see that sort of insurance on the market today already. Um, I mean, also probably because these are really fairly rare incidents, accidental shootings, are they're not That's right. super common. It's not like car accidents. Car accidents are far more common than, than gun accidents. Um, so, uh, you know, it's an interesting proposal. It's first of its kind. It's obviously, it's a novel approach. Um, very controversial, right? Because now we're already seeing lawsuits against this, correct? 
That's right. Not even a full 24 hours after the final votes were tallied, uh, a gun rights group has already filed suit. Uh, so the National Association for Gun Rights uh, immediately filed suit in federal court, um, essentially <clears throat> saying that the imposition of the tax uh, amounts to a tax on a constitutional right. Uh, a quote, direct quote from the uh, from the lawsuit here it says San Jose's imposition of a tax fee or other arbitrary cost on gun ownership is intended to suppress gun ownership without furthering any government interest. Um, and it points out the fact that, as proposed, uh, non-payment of the insurance or failure to show that you've paid the fee um, under the ordinance, they want to make that grounds for at least temporary confiscation of a firearm, yeah. um, which they include in the complaint in this lawsuit. Yeah. So, uh, and then obviously, there, you spoke to a number of other gun rights groups like the Second Amendment Foundation and Firearms Policy Coalition. And there's, I guess, there's some disagreement over strategy here or timing. Because they want to file suits as well, but they're they're waiting, right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. I, I talked to Alan Gottlieb at the Second Amendment Foundation, and he told me that SAF and Firearms Policy Coalition are going to jointly file a lawsuit, but they're waiting until uh, because, as we said before, this isn't good law yet. Um, so there's a matter of a legal standard called ripeness, where basically the there has to be some sort of controversy. It has to be the right timing in order to uh, better prepare them for the case. So they will be filing suit, just not as of yet. Um, and I'm, I'm sure, sure the other the gun NRA, groups, yeah, 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 NRA will probably get in on it or the California, their, their California branch, the California rifle and pistol association will probably be involved in lawsuits as well. I'd expect, uh, especially cause this, this ordinance really kind of strikes at the heart of Heller. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, speculation over what the second amendment specifically covers in terms of, uh, you know, what protections it offers for different activities with firearms, uh, because the Supreme Court simply hasn't done much on this issue <laughs> since, you know, the beginning of, of, since the founding of the country. And so, you know, they're still deciding whether or not, you know, may issue gun carry permits or an infringement on the Second Amendment. Um, that's exactly what they're deciding right now at, at the, the court this year. But um, there's a lot of things that they don't know for sure. Interestingly, though, the literally the one thing we do know from the Supreme Court is that the right to uh, own a gun for self-defense inside of your own home, you know, a gun in common use is protected by the Second Amendment. That's like the literal core That's correct. of Heller. And so this goes right to that core because they're trying to put a tax and a uh, insurance requirement on that specific concept of being able to even own a gun. Not, you know, it's not a tax on your purchase of a gun. It's not, you know, a tax on your purchase of training for the gun. It's literally a tax on just your ownership of that gun. It's a property tax. And, and the insurance requirement is a similar idea of like, it's, you can't There's have the gun otherwise. And they're literally using homeowners insurance as the grounds to uh, get these guns covered under a liability policy. Um, and it, to your point as well, um, they make an exemption for law enforcement and for people that have waivers for low income. But another one of the exemptions mm -hmm. is for folks with a concealed carry permit, um, which we know Santa Clara right. County, where so San right Jose right. is, yeah, makes it very difficult to get yeah. a permit. And the one people that they do grant, the people that do get a permit, it turns out uh, are in sort of a pay to play scheme because their former sheriff is now being indicted for corruption charges. So it's kind of right. 
like you said, it strikes directly at the heart of home ownership because yeah, no one else can carry outside the home with their guns. So it doesn't cover yeah. that. So I, like this will likely go one of two ways in my personal view. And that's either the ordinance will get struck down basically immediately and the, the city council won't bother to try and follow up. You saw this actually in California recently with ordinances in uh, LA and San Francisco where they tried to ban NRA members from doing work with the city, right? They tried to say, if, you, if you're a member of the NRA, you can't get city contracts, which it's not, it's not explicitly a second amendment issue like this one is, but it's obviously more of a first amendment issue, but that got basically cut off at the knees right away. And then the cities gave up on the idea altogether and didn't try to appeal and push this through any further than that uh, as sort of a symbolic thing. This might end up the same way. That's kind of where I'm leaning right now, just on my personal view of this is my personal analysis of what's likely to happen with this law. But the other, the other direction, what could happen is if the Santa, if San Jose keeps trying to defend this law or this, this ordinance, you know, you could absolutely see this end up at the Supreme court because the thing about the ninth, you know, first of all, San Jose is in the ninth circuit. It's in California. And the That's Ninth right. Circuit uh, is really not keen to strike down any gun regulations at all, ever, pretty much. So uh, at least not at the, the full panel. Sometimes you'll get a three-judge panel that's, that does it. But the full panel, um, as, as actually one of the members of the Ninth Circuit, was just uh, uh, making this point, point through basically through mockery of his right. fellow judges, uh, which we talked about recently. But... Uh, you know, the, the Ninth Circuit could uphold something like this. I could see that happening. And then at that point, this is absolutely something that I could see the Supreme Court wanting to weigh in on, especially because in the Roberts era, they like to take sort of uh, novel outliers, right? right? And this is the most novel outlier in the country right now, as far as a gun law is concerned. So I uh, wouldn't be surprised, especially because it's it'd be so easy for them because it's just like basically right in the wheelhouse of what they've already decided and how they don't really even have to expand much beyond that. So, uh, those are the two paths I could see it taking. I think the first is more likely. I think this is just kind of a stunt. The mayor's, uh, term is up soon and he can't be mayor anymore. This gives him attention and, uh, maybe he's looking to, uh, further his potent his, career elsewhere by by being at the center of a news story like this. I don't know. Well, obviously he says that's not the reason, but uh, uh, I'd be surprised if this makes it beyond the first ruling in federal court. But we'll see. We'll keep following it. I mean, we followed it since uh, the first inklings of it. So we're going to stay on the story. And uh, that's all we've got for this week. If you uh, would like to help support our Sober, serious firearms reporting and analysis. You can do that by heading over to thereload.com and buying a membership today. We have monthly memberships starting at $10 a month and yearly memberships at $100 a month, which is a nice discount there. Um, and you can even buy a lifetime membership if you really want to help support what we're doing. We had a couple lifetime membership sales this month, and it's really helped to push us through uh, financially to next month, which is our, always our goal. We want to we want to survive and expand if possible. It's a lot more we could be doing. So if you want to help give us that extra financial support, 
that's the best way to do so. You'll get access to dozens of original, uh, exclusive pieces of analysis and news stories that you can't get literally anywhere else. And you'll also get access to this podcast a day early and the opportunity to join us in a members segment here, uh, should you wish to. If you remember who wants to be on the show, please reply to your Sunday newsletter, your members newsletter that you get, this exclusive newsletter for members on Sunday. Reply to that. Let us know you want to be on. And uh, we'd love to interview you. We've had a number of members on in the past, some very interesting people, very eclectic group, very diverse. It's uh, wonderful. So um, let's uh, have some more, you guys. I'd love to hear from more of you. But uh, until next week, that's it. That's all we've got. See you.